Hey, Amy. Hi. What you doing? I'm actually just in the middle of planning a video shoot for Hanami and Sakura. How are the videos doing so far for Cherry Blossom content? Actually, really well. One of our top performing so far. We've already got about 20,000 views, so it seems people are very interested in Cherry Blossoms. Oh, yes. Sakura season is back. Hello, and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Jason Jenkins. You just heard the voice of Amy Gardner, YouTube producer for the travel site Tokyo Chipo. Her team and hundreds of other camera crews across Japan will be very busy this week filming the country at its most photogenic. Every year, spring in Japan kicks off with millions of flowers bursting open, only for the wind to carry their petals away a week or so later. It's the season of sakura, or cherry blossom trees, and their blooming is so cherished in Japan that it's celebrated in everything across the country, from anime and car commercials to dining, fashion, and even text messaging apps. But the season is also known for hanami parties, hanami being the word for flower viewing in Japanese. People across the archipelago will welcome spring by meeting friends, family, or co-workers under the branches of sakura trees as the flowers transform drab winter landscapes into a spectacular pink and white tableau. And this season will be extra special, since COVID-19 more or less canceled all the festivities for the past three years. In this week's episode, we'll talk about the history, science, and significance of sakura in Japan, as well as the economic impact that they have on the country as a whole. Our first guest today is staff writer Kathleen Benoza. Welcome, Kathleen. Hey, Jason. Happy to be here. Last week, you wrote a piece called Japan's Economy to Bloom as Hanami Season Kicks Off, and Hanami being the Japanese word for blossom viewing, sort of a shorthand for the drinking parties and picnics that people have under the blossoming trees. And your article focused on how Hanami Season generates so much money around the country. What kind of money are we talking about here? Well, for the piece, I talked to Katsuhiro Miyamoto. He's a professor emeritus at Kansai University, and he has put out figures on how the cherry blossom season affects the Japanese economy. Ah, so he must be a Hanami fan himself. Oh, yeah, big time. He was thrilled to talk about it, actually. And just for Hanami season, he reported that it had a positive economic impact of around 200.6 billion yen. Okay, so that's about 1.5 billion U.S. dollars at the time of recording, I think. Oh, yeah. But we got to remember, last year, Hanami wasn't really a thing because of COVID. And his estimates this year, they're triple that, over 600 billion yen, now that the pandemic has calmed down a bit. But he still says that that's not as much as pre-pandemic levels. So help me unpack these billions. Where is this money going and who's benefiting? Well, it's mostly going to the tourism industry, but we really have to consider pre-pandemic levels here. This year, they're predicting about a total of 2.3 million foreign tourists during Hanami season. But before COVID, we had around that many people coming from China and South Korea alone. Right. And that doesn't even count the domestic tourists who travel to different parts of the country. I mean, the locals are the biggest Hanami fans themselves, aren't they? And now that COVID's been downgraded, a lot more people restart their picnics and hanami parties. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you can kind of imagine that the tourism-related industries, they'd be doing really well with tourists and locals. But, you know, I found it really interesting that in Miyamoto's 2022 study, that 57% of respondents said they didn't even want to 
drink or eat at their picnics. And only 11% said they wanted to drink alcohol. Does this have to do with the pandemic or mask wearing or anything like that? Oh, yeah, exactly. Professor Miyamoto actually talked to me about how people felt like this strong form of social pressure to just wear the masks and follow all these different pandemic-related guidelines. And people were also told not to drink or eat under the trees and to refrain from, like, stopping under the trees. So what other sectors of the economy benefit from the cherry blossom season? Well, a lot of brand names try to leverage their sales with the cherry blossom season. Ah, of course. I know the pink Kit Kats well. Yeah, and have you seen those Starbucks limited edition frappuccinos? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere, and it's really popular here in Japan. Coca-Cola and Asahi even changed their packaging to include pink flowers, Mm -hmm. the sakura petals, and companies, big and small, they try to get in on the action by staging these sales and special seasonal discounts. Oh, right. Yeah. Something similar happens in the West, in uh, Canada and the States, and I'm sure elsewhere. I guess here in Japan, it's, you know, spring and hanami season. Yeah, you, you get it. But you grew up in the U.S., right, Jason? I did. When did the school year begin for you there? Usually in September, in the fall, usually. Okay, that's completely different here in Japan. Since here, the school year begins and ends in spring. So it begins in April and then ends in March. So the cherry blossoms have really come to symbolize new beginnings like that. Of course. And so people are buying school supplies and they're buying new clothes. and. Oh, yeah. And it's not just schools. The end of the financial year is around springtime. So that's when people start new jobs. They go into new companies and companies transfer their employees to different places in Japan. So people are moving around as well. Ah, so more clothes sold, more moving companies and furniture and appliances and suits for work. Yeah, yeah, you get the idea. This is all part of what's called shinsekatsu here in Japan. Oh, yeah. Tell us a little more about shinsekatsu. Shinsekatsu basically translates to new lifestyle. And like Professor Miyamoto says, hanami season coincides with major life decisions among Japanese people. Ah, which is also a time when you buy lots of new stuff. And we've talked about moving and clothes and school supplies, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a spike in photo equipment as well. Oh, you're talking about all those people in the parks waiting to capture like this one branch for cherry blossom trees? (laughs) That's right. Every park has to have at least a half a dozen middle-aged men with a thousand dollar camera lens to get their best shot of the hanami. Oh, yeah. But, you know, another industry that usually does well during this season are meetups and matchmaking services. Matchmaking services? Well, they're not really matchmaking services in like the old school sense, but they're parties for singles, like social gatherings during Hanami season. And I also spoke to this meetup organizer and he said that despite all these online dating apps, people still want to get to know each other in person. And Hanami is the perfect season to do it. Oh, that's so sweet. So romance really is in the air. And billions and billions of yen. There is a season of the year in which every country puts on its most beautiful raiment. In Japan, it is in cherry blossom time. This particular season has a vital effect upon the native people who bask in the beauties of spring as they walk through the numerous parks where the cherry trees bloom in luxuriant profusion. I've asked arts and culture editor Alyssa Smith and staff writer Tu Hung Ha on the show to talk about the science of sakura trees and the people who predict when they will open. Hey, Tu. Hey, Alyssa. 
The last time we were on the pod together, we talked about culture trends and highlights in 2022. You also recently spoke to Jason about the evolution of Yayoi Kusama. Now you're taking a little detour and you've written a piece about Sakura forecasting. What piqued your interest in this subject? Well, first of all, great point, Alyssa. I'm not a science reporter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not here in a capacity of uh, being a climate change expert. Mm -hmm. But I have always been interested since I moved to Japan in the Sakura forecast because I think it is kind of a unique part of culture here. Um, And I was really curious, like, you know, I would see these lists of like this park is 40% full but the park next to it is 60% full and I was like who is recording this is it just like a guy you know how I pictured it was a guy with white gloves and a magnifying glass every day going out and checking the difference in the diameter of these flowers mm-hmm. I imagine it's a pretty big responsibility to <laughs> sort of uh, kick off the party season for all of Japan yes um, I actually got to witness a Sakura press conference <laughs> was it what you imagined it would be um yeah in that I was looking at a wall of shoulders uh-huh um You start your piece standing in front of a very special tree in Tokyo. And I didn't know about the existence of this tree. (laughs) So can you give us a little bit more information about why this tree is so special? Yes, there is a tree actually very close to where we're sitting right now in Tokyo at Yasukuni Shrine. It is a sakura tree that has been designated by the government as the sample tree that is used for the prefecture of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. So the Japan Meteorological Agency sets the standard for observing sakura trees, obviously. And there's a list of 58 of these trees in the country, all across the country. And there are are rules about the, the flowering of these trees. So on the day that I went, there was somebody from the agency, a meteorologist. Was he wearing white gloves? He, I don't think so, but he was very nervous because he's not a you know, he's not a public speaker. He's mm-hmm. He probably just looks at charts all day. But <laughs> it was his job that day. So what he's looking for um, in order to declare the first day, like the opening of the trees, is for five to six flowers to be open on the tree. And they have to be on the branches, not on the trunk and not on the roots. I see. Can you explain a little bit of the science behind sakura blossoming? For example, what are the main factors in when they bloom and how they bloom? Sure. So the basic biorhythm is that in summer, the trees form the flower buds. In late fall and early winter, they go into dormancy. At some point in deep winter, they wake up from the dormancy. And then when spring comes, they flower. So that's the basic flow. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like cold is just as important as warmth to these trees. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we do think of the warmth of spring as the thing that wakes up the buds and and causes them to flower. But just as important is the cold, the cold temperatures in winter that actually signal to the tree that they need to wake up from dormancy. Mm -hmm. Now, with climate change making the weather more unpredictable, it's also becoming difficult to forecast when the sakura bloom, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, exactly. So there's two main ways in which the bloom is being affected by climate change. So they're both related to temperature. So the first is that the flowering dates will get earlier, and they have been getting earlier. This year's flowering date was the earliest on record, along with 2021 and 2020, uh, going back to when the record started in the 1950s. And also what researchers have found is that if the winter in places like Kyushu, which is the warmest part of Japan, just like doesn't get cold enough, you might see some kind of half bloom trees like looking kind of weird or in the worst case scenario they might not bloom at all right and i'm sure that's going to be very heartbreaking for the people in kyushu (laughs) who won't be able to party under the beautiful sakura blossoms they'll just be taking selfies with bare trees they won't know what to do they won't know what day it is (laughs) um 
Some people may not know this, but one of the reasons the sakura tend to bloom all at the same time is because over 90% of the cherry trees planted in Japan are clones. They're not just the same species, they're clones of the same tree, right? That's right. That's the Somei Yoshino variety. And actually, the rules I mentioned earlier set by the meteorological agency dictate that, for the most part, they only use this variety to do the observations because the trees are so consistent genetically. So, right, they were actually all bred, um, allegedly, by the same gardener during the Edo period, and then they were spread all over Japan. But there's actually hundreds of different varieties of cherry trees naturally in Japan with different colors to their petals, you know, when they bloom and for how long. And there's actually a sakura uh, expert named Hideaki Tanaka out in Ibaraki Prefecture who's growing uh, a thousand sample trees of 400 different varieties. And he's trying to convince local governments to um, plant other species. Why would they want to do that? Well, aside from, you know, a more diverse array of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, there's some problems, I think, with the Somei Yoshino uh, strain. So they are hard to prune, um, from what I understand, and so they are left vulnerable to an infection called witch's broom that can harm trees. And because this is the vast majority of the cherry trees, the disease can spread quickly from tree to tree. So I think the thinking is that if there's more diversity, then there's more resilience. And with more resilience, there's... More partying. (laughs) More partying. (laughs) Okay, now we're back with Alyssa and Two. We've talked about the economic impacts of Hanami. We've talked about the science of cherry blossoms themselves. And now I want to cover some of the history and meaning of Sakura in Japan. And then maybe finish up with a little about where and how to have your own Hanami party. To start, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm sure if you haven't been to a Hanami party, you're just hearing about this for the first time, this whole idea of Hanami flower viewing party doesn't sound that rock and roll, doesn't sound that wild, and it doesn't have to be, but I know that it uh, may may come across as a little odd, right? I guess so, but honestly, I think it's something you have to experience firsthand to really understand. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I know when I first arrived here, I did not get it. I thought it sounded boring to sit and watch flowers bloom. But of course, now it's my favorite week of the year for 20 years running. I mean, of course, aesthetically, it's beautiful, but it's... It just kind of flips a switch in people, and it's kind of hard to explain. I've I've called it a, a spiritual spring break <laughs> before, and I know that sounds pretty cheesy, but it's my attempt to articulate it. But it just, you know... People just loosen up, and there's this energy and optimism in the air. And that's probably another reason why it's also involved in corporate culture here. Hanami parties are not just for friends and family. Lots of companies have their own parties for their employees. That's how I was originally exposed to them in the first place. And then there are others who want to get as far away from the city as possible. I have at least one friend that does that. They prefer the solitude and to have a tree to themselves. So they pop in a car, drive out into the countryside, and find a sakura to sit under with their friends and family. Yeah, I think I'm more into that. <laughs> but yeah, it's I, from my understanding, it's not just that there's all these different ways to do it, but it's also just got this really long history as well. It's been going on since like the Heian period, so like right. 8th century, um, when it was something that, you know, aristocrats did, just taking time to observe the, you know, these seasonal changes. But it did gradually trickle down to the masses, right? Right, that's my understanding. In later periods, it became a mass phenomenon. And the cherry blossom itself, it's not just a pretty pink flower. It's actually come to represent much more. 
Mm, yeah, it's definitely more than just a, a little pink flower to look at. Part of it has to do with the brevity of the blossoms on the tree. They bloom, and usually within two weeks, they fall into the ground. And this has come to represent the fleeting, ephemeral nature of life, the idea that everything is temporary. It's the impermanence of the flowers that makes it that much more beautiful. Um, yeah, there's a poem that I learned about in Japanese class uh, that I think about a lot from the ninth century by a waka poet, Ariwara no Narihira. I'm not going to butcher the poem, but the rough translation is, if there were no cherry blossoms in this world, my spring heart would be calm. And I think about that a lot because I just think it's a very stressful time of year. <laughs> There's so much pressure to enjoy this like very, very, very fleeting beauty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Expectations are high. Um, it also usually rains around this time. Right. So when you actually do get a moment to enjoy the flowers, you know, it's sort of like a stolen moment almost. Yeah, I think of it yeah. as the Olympics of FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> Olympics of FOMO? What do you mean? It's just like a world championship of catching it at the right exact moment. <laughs> and if you don't, you have to wait another year. <laughs> That's right. And you'll even find in, you know, I mean, button down corporate Japan, you'll find people popping out for cocktails under the trees at lunchtime, if that's the day that the weather is good. And you have to take advantage of it while it's happening. And I also wanted to mention how Sakura trees have been used for diplomatic purposes as well. Alyssa, tell us what happened in 1912. Right. So this is just over 100 years ago. In 1912, the mayor of Tokyo gifted sakura trees to Washington, D.C., and now they've become this iconic part of the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, some people have called this sakura diplomacy, and I think the biggest example is Washington, D.C., but uh, you would find other examples of this in other places, China, the U.K., and elsewhere. That was actually my first experience of sakura. I haven't lived in Japan that long. This is actually, I haven't actually lived through a proper hanami season in Japan yet. But when I was a kid, my parents were super into it. And my dad would, you know, check the paper every day. And then if it was the time, we would jump in the car on Friday afternoon, go down to DC and spend the weekend there, you know, in the 90s, <laughs> taking <laughs> pictures of us with the sakura. What about you, Alyssa? Uh, well, for me, I grew up in Tokyo. So every spring, I'd go to Arisugawa Park after school with my friends, and we'd picnic there. And now as an adult, I make it a point to throw a big party in Yoyogi Park. And I like to bring friends from different social circles together. And I'll, you know, see who gets along, what clicks. It's really <laughs> fun. Ruh -ruh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's probably pretty clear that I am a Hanami fan and have been for quite a while. Uh, it started for me in 2001. I was the lowest ranking, newest employee in a company. And for the corporate Hanami party, they wanted to get someone to go save space, you know, to, to get up really early and... <laughs> Uh, you know, pull, put out some tarps to save a spot for everybody to come to after work. They usually pick the the lowest rung, and that was me. Yeah, it's pretty normal at Japanese companies to get the newbies <laughs> to go out there early in the morning and Glad save I spots that for phase. everyone. <laughs> like light hazing, mm. light pink hazing. <laughs> yep, I was that newbie. But the funny thing was, I loved it. I got into it. I'm not a morning person at all, but after that first year, I volunteered to do it the next year and the year after that. And when I left the company, I started throwing Hanami parties of my own. It just became the best week of the year for me. You know, one of the highlights of the Hanami season for me is the community aspect of it. So let's talk about the Hanami itself and what a typical Hanami party looks like. Well, I guess the stereotypical Hanami party is just a glorified picnic, really. 
you know, people put out some food and drink and sit under the trees and eat, drink, enjoy each other's company. But I know a lot of people enjoy Hanami season simply by walking on paths that are lined with Sakura trees. I like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the walking type of Hanami, Um, especially at night in Tokyo. There are a lot of places where the trees are lit up with lanterns. It's really beautiful. So there must be some places that are better than others. Where do you guys like to go? Yeah, we should get into some Hanami spot recommendations. But I do think it's worth mentioning that, you know, out of the major Hanami spots, those, you know, in big cities anyway, they tend to each have their own sort of unique atmosphere. How would I put it? Uh, This isn't the best analogy, but think of it like dining or nightlife. There may be a dozen different cafes or bars or restaurants or nightclubs, but a lot of them will attract a certain kind of clientele or they have a certain mood or vibe to the ambiance, as it were. Uh, You know, I think Hanami spots can be like that sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Some of them feel like someone's backyard. Another one feels like a crazy music festival or another one feels like sort of a manicured garden. But Alyssa, why don't you start us off in Tokyo? You're in the capital. Tell us where to go. Sure. So two of the most popular Hanami spots in Tokyo, I'd say, are Ueno Park and also Yoyogi Park. You know, both of these places, they draw huge crowds. And so there's, you know, competition going on for prime locations underneath the sakura trees. But there's definitely like a party aspect to it as well. You know, people are jumping from party to party and meeting up with friends that maybe they didn't expect to see. So that's, you know, a positive aspect of going to these more popular crowded locations. There's also Inokashira Park out by Kichijoji. If you're looking for something a little more subdued, I'd recommend Shinjuku Gyoen. You do have to pay to get in. They also close early, I think, maybe around like 4 or 5 p.m., and I think they don't allow you to bring alcohol. So, you know, it's it's a little more tame. Um, but civilized? You, c- civilized, yeah, that might be the right word. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're wanting to go to really bask in the beauty of the Sakura trees, I think Shinjuku Gyoen is the right yes. place to go. Another good thing about Shinjuku Gyoen is that they have some of the Sakura species that bloom later than the Somei Yoshino variety. They're called Yaezakura trees, and uh, Shinjuku Gyoen has some of those. So if you miss the first round of blooming, mm. you can uh, possibly hit this spot later. Mm-hmm. Good tip. Okay, so you've listed up some of the sit-down picnic type hanami spots give us a couple of the walking options well my favorite spot for just you know a night walk is um, along the river in nakameguro they light up lanterns along the way and sometimes they have uh, stalls where you can buy drinks and stuff like that so there's kind of like a summer festival vibe going on as well there's also the perimeter of the moat around the imperial palace there's also the Aoyama Cemetery and the Yanaka area near Nippori Station. Those two places are also great for a stroll. Oh, wait, I want to go there. Yeah, I love the Yanaka area as well. Mm-hmm. What about Kansai? In Kansai, yeah, there are definitely a wealth of options here. In Osaka, one of my favorite spots is Kema Sakura no Miya Park. It's along the river, and there are hundreds of trees. And then if you walk about 20 minutes south on the west side of the river, there's the Mint Bureau and the Mint Museum. Now, this doesn't sound like a place you would see lots of Sakura trees. And in truth, they only have like uh, 300, I think. But uh, but they have over 100 different species. One challenge for this is you have to reserve ahead of time. That's one of the reasons I haven't seen it yet, but I'm planning to go this year. 
Now, in Kyoto, obviously, one of the most popular spots is uh, Marayama Koen, or Marayama Park. It's in the Yasaka Shrine Complex, and it's a great spot for some dinner or a snack. There's lots of stalls and tables set up, but I've heard the Kyoto Botanical Gardens are quite good as well. My favorite in Kyoto is probably walking the Philosopher's Path. That's a walkthrough type. But, you know, it's been three years with no Hanami, so I bet it's going to be crowded, so I may skip it this year. Now, if I had a Hanami bucket list, I would definitely go to Mount Yoshino in Nara at some point. This is an entire mountain covered in uh, Sakura trees. I think it's like 30,000 and you know hundreds of different species. Um, I mean, this is the kind of place that you would, you know, read in ancient poems or see in ancient paintings. But I do know in Nara that a lot of people like to go to Nara Park where the deer are. But I would like to warn you that if you try to do a picnic here, you will have some uninvited four-legged guests and they will take your food. Any tips for a newbie? Right. I think... uh... (laughs) After years of experience, I have a lot of Please. pro tips. Teach <laughs> me. <laughs> um, so, you know, along with your typical picnic supplies like food, drinks, and some kind of something to cover the ground, like a tarp or a blanket, I think you should make sure to pack extra napkins because there are definitely going to be spills. Napkins? We bring towels because there's always some big spills. I mean, not huge towels, but, you know, the little hand towels you get for sports and at hot springs and places like that. You know, because this is Japan, you know, people are taking their shoes off to step onto your ground cloth or your tarp or whatever. And so if there's a lot of spills, you get, you know, wet, sticky socks. That's no fun. Mm-mm, not fun at all. Also, remember to pack a small speaker for some tunes. I've heard people bring full-on karaoke machines. Is that true? Oh, yeah. I have seen that, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I also... <laughs> uh, another pro tip. I try to find a location that's... Uh, somewhat close to the public bathroom. Definitely not right beside, but near enough that you can walk there drunkenly and make your way back to your <laughs> yeah, friends. Yeah, that's a good one. It's going to be an issue for me. <laughs> you should expect lines. All of these tips are important to keep in mind, but I think the most important thing to remember is to keep these hanami parties fairly casual. You know, you don't need a set start time, a set end time. Um, people are going to be coming and going, jumping from you know one party to the next to talk to friends or just meet new people. So, you know, to keep it sort of lighthearted and open is the way to go. And with that, it's time for us to wrap up. See you under the trees. Let's do it. See you there. Once again, special thanks to my colleagues Kathleen Benoza, Alyssa I. Smith, and Tu Hung Ha for their insight this week. Thanks also to Amy Gardner from Tokyo Chipo. If you'd like to learn more about cherry blossoms and hanami parties, or simply see more of their work, then check out the links in the show notes. Also in the Japan Times this week, staff writers Jesse Johnson and Gabriele Nindavaji analyze Prime Minister Fumio Kishida's visit to Ukraine and how that might translate domestically. Contributor David McElhinney writes about Japan's jazz bars and one duo's dream to photograph them all. And Jason Koskri reports on Japan's victory in the World Baseball Classic and what that means for the team. For these stories and thousands more, please consider a subscription to the Japan Times. This episode was edited by Dave Cortez. Our theme song is by 4L, and our outro song is by Oscar Boyd. I'm Jason Jenkins. See you next week, and as always, Potsukara-sama!